If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman. Brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, here we go. Midlife Mail Podcast time. I am Greg Scheinman. Thank you guys so much for listening, for supporting the show. It's been a blast. I love getting the feedback. If you like what you hear, Subscribe to the program wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Spread the word. Tell all of your friends. Let's keep that midlife male movement growing. This is exciting. Mr. Sharif Malnick on the Midlife Male podcast today. I didn't know Sharif personally. This is the first time I had a chance to actually meet him. We had a number of mutual friends in contact Uh, We share a love of food, of fitness, of family. I was heading down to Miami to meet with my good friend, Daniel Singer of Filthy Foods. Shout out to them and Filthy Daniel over there, the most incredible drink garnish company in the world. So I was headed down to Miami to go see Daniel. I reached out to Sharif saying, hey, I'm going to be in town. We don't really know each other, but through the wonders of social media, we have connected, have a mutual respect for one another. The guys at Anatomy, Grant Wieditz, Evan Kay, who trains there, Dave Lazarus, who trains there, the amazing Mark Megnan, what he's built over there. We had this connection through that, and uh, he was gracious enough to say, yeah, I'll do it. I'll come join you. So lo and behold, I had the privilege of sitting down and meeting him in person. We sit down at my hotel. I'm ready to do a sound check. I hit the record button on the mic just to test things out. And the next thing you know, we never stopped it. We just jumped right in. Felt like I've known him for a long, long time. And the conversation was a blast. I learned a lot, was inspired got a lot of history, his perspective and philosophy on life and everything that he's accomplished and done is quite remarkable. So we just let it run. I apologize for some of the audio quality. This was not where we necessarily intended to do it. Um, But it's real. It's live. It's transparent. It's the way it is. And the quality of his message and everything he says shines right through. So we just let it play and we just let it go. He is, and by he, I mean Mr. Sharif Malnick, he is one of the country's top entrepreneurs and restaurateurs. The Forge is his celebrated award-winning steakhouse in Miami Beach. It is the second longest running restaurant in Miami Beach right behind Joe's Stone Crab. I hope I got that right. It's amazing. 
He's also owned the wildly popular nightclubs Jimmy Z's, Cuba Club, Glass, and Cafe Nostalgia. Back in the day, Kate and I lived in Miami Beach before we got married. Those were some times. By day, Malnick is the chairman of Next Wave Funding, which provides funding to thousands of small and mid-sized companies across the nation. He recently added executive producer to his resume with the documentary film Sexology, which was directed by his wife, Gabrielle Anwar, the brilliant and talented actress. If you're familiar with the scent of a woman tango scene with Al Pacino, that's her. Pretty incredible. They're also presently working on a subscription website and spinoff series of the film. As a prominent philanthropist, he has held the prestigious title of Chairman of the Intercontinental Make-A-Wish Ball for 11 years, helping to raise more than $14 million for the organization. Amazing. Under his leadership, the gala has become the most coveted event in South Florida. He has also become the Chairman of the Board of Make-A-Wish South Florida. Impressive stuff. He is a Miami School of Business graduate. He's also got a JD degree from the University of Miami Law School. He sits on the University of Miami Medical School's advisory board and is a board member of the PAL. He is also a regular speaker at Florida International University's Chaplain School of Hospitality. In his personal time, ha, where does this guy have personal time with all that? But he does. And we'll talk about balance as we get deeper into the program as well. He is an extreme skier jiu-jitsu enthusiast, licensed helicopter pilot, former race car driver, and offshore powerboat racer, as well as a tech diver, having tested his steel at depths greater than 500 feet. He's run with the bulls in Pamplona. He's ice-climbed the Cascades. He lives in Miami Beach with his wife, children, and various pets. It's a pretty full and exciting life for Mr. Sharif Malnick. Here he is on the Midlife Mail podcast. Let's talk about all of it. Between work or Make-A-Wish or, you know, at University of Miami, I was just asked to lecture to a business class or a hospitality class at FIU. And so I'm really into storytelling and I love storytelling. But um, I have a, I'm in the executive, global executive MBA program right now at UM. And so I have a, I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> It's my third degree. More, right? <laughs> exactly. It's it's out of control. So um, it's an eighteen month program. So, but I have this marketing professor who just we really, kind of hit it off, and like he's, I'm digging him, and he's digging my work that I'm turning in because I do so much marketing mm-hmm. in life anyway. You know, sure. Everything we do is marketing. Every business that you run is marketing. But he uh, he invited me to you know the moth. It's on NPR. Okay. It's so the moth is this storytelling competitions and people come and they tell stories he's in the moth and he's okay. in the championships and i can't go that day because i have a conflict mm. but i'm like oh man th- this is like so serendipitous because it's all about storytelling the moth story time check it out you'll, you'll like, Abs- absolutely i will but you had mentioned earlier just earlier about it always being about learning yeah and here you are now going back to get your executive global mba now you know what what inspired you to do that well you know, I, I constantly look at where I'm at, and and I don't want to get stagnant because getting stagnant is going backwards. 
Inevitably, it is. In everything. In your relationships, in your business, in your body. You know, you've got to keep pushing forward just to stay the same and pushing really hard forward if you want to advance, right? So I'm not satisfied in staying where I'm at in any aspect of my life. So, you know, when you, when you come to think about it, you know, why did I stop or why does one stop learning after college or after law school or after, you know, why, why can you imagine learning at the same trajectory, right, which is basically exponential from the time you're a kid through college and into your 60s, 70s, and 80s. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how far you go and how much wisdom you have, how much knowledge you would have? So I kind of have that attitude where whatever it is, I'd, it has to be a challenge. I have to be uncomfortable, right? I have to be, whether it be in a therapy session with my wife. Let's go into subjects that make us uncomfortable. If it's uncomfortable, it means I need to grow. There's a problem with that. If, you're, if we're training and it feels uncomfortable, that's where we need to be. Right? If it's comfortable, you're in the wrong place because unless you're satisfied with the status quo. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm now, do you think, did you get a lot of this, you feel, from, from your relationship with your father? And I've read a lot about your relationship with, with your father. Where did this drive, where does this come from? Is this innate? Do you think that this was instilled, passed down? That's a really good question. So I think it's come from several reference points. Okay. First of all, up until I was in about seventh grade, I kind of felt like I was inadequate, actually. Um, I wasn't, I was, you know, very thin. I was like a twig. I was very light. Um, I wasn't really introduced, you know, into sports. I had to kind of introduce myself into sports. Mm -hmm. I was pushed that way. Um, I was a terrible student up until seventh grade. I was not focused. I didn't know what was going on. And then, so, so in seventh grade, going into eighth grade, um, something hit me. And that was, if I don't change something in my life, I'm going to be a loser. Because <laughs> I felt like a loser. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not really proud of anything that I'm doing. Why, why am I not good at anything? I'm not really trying. I'm not committed. And I'm not disciplined at all. And so I started to turn that around scholastically. Okay? And then it started to turn around physically. Um, and that was really important to me. Um, my father is, you know, my number one mentor in my life. And so he has taught me so much, and, and I learn from him every day. We speak every single day. And we talk about business every day and life every day. And he is, a, he is, he is a, a, the greatest proponent of thinking outside the box, not getting jaded, not getting stayed in your thinking, um, being relentless, uh, uh, tenacious, um, and, and, and never giving up under any circumstances for, of anything. Like, so whether it be you know, a business issue, a downward cycle, you know, problems with your kids, a problem with your marriage, whatever mm -hmm. it is, you don't ever give up. And, and he's led by example. And we, we talked a little bit about, you can only follow a leader who sets an example that you respect and it's something that you want to achieve. Otherwise, it's just you know, talk, yep. right? And so he's led by example, and he has never quit on anything. And he usually comes out a winner. Obviously, you know, incredibly blessed to have that type of relationship. Do you have other mentors, or what would you say maybe to those guys out there that maybe don't have 
that father who's like that, you know, or that are, that are looking for that guidance, because none of us can do it alone. Yeah. And at various stages of our lives, obviously things change. What's your relationship towards either other mentors or, or advice to guys that, that maybe don't have it right, you know, they just don't have their dad? Yeah, so, so I have, there, there are different types of, if I can segment things that, you know, everything overlaps and everything is related to each other. So, you know, like, you know, physical fitness and training is related to business. It's related to relationships and business is related to relationships. And tra they're, they're all common universal concepts, right? So when you develop a philosophy, it's not a philosophy that works in one area of your life, but you don't use it. Otherwise, it's, it's bogus. It's not really who you are, and it's not really your philosophy. So I have several things. One is that I have in my, in my wife and my partner, I have a best friend. So my greatest mentor is my father, and my best friend is my wife, um, who is extremely talented, extremely hardworking, and extremely bright. So it's great when you live with somebody who's, who's sets the bar so high. Mm -hmm. So it never lets you slip. Like, you know, um, you know, a lot of us choose relationships where we dominate. And I have been guilty of that in the past when I was younger. Um, I'm now married to somebody who challenges me. Um, she's one of the brightest people I've ever met. And she's just relentless, you know. <laughs> she's relentless. So, so that, that's a very important aspect. So my father's my greatest mentor. She's, she's my best friend and a great example of extremely hard work and extremely world-class talent in everything that she does. Everything she does is extremely professional. So when you live around that, you want to keep your game up. It's important, right? So surround yourself by people who bring your game up, not that bring your game down. Right? But then if I go and I'll train, like for example, with Mark Magno over at Anatomy. You know, I, you know, Mark played professional football for 10 years. Um, he's an he's a extremely disciplined person. Um, he believes in, 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 in developing a culture around him that he leads by example. Um, somebody that I could follow into the, you know, into the fire because I trust him and I believe in him. Um, and, and the type of discipline and, and demands that he puts on me when we train that he's willing to do himself every single day is something that I admire and it's something that's really helped me. And so, you know, I have different kinds of mentors. There's a, and I train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so, you know, there's a, there's, and I train with this, uh, with this, my master is George Pereira, he gave me my black belt, and very, very dear friend, great mentor of mine in terms of toughness, right? But then when I had some other issues, I would call another great master, Pedro Valente. And I say like, some guy is like calling me out on the internet. Why is this bothering me so much, Pedro? You know, I'm obviously not gonna bite the bait because I'm over that, but it's still nonetheless bothering me inside. Mm -hmm. So I, re I, I reach out to that guy. First of all, that took a lot for me to evolve to be able to say that to, to another man. Say, hey, this is bothering me. It's bothering me that it's bothering me. Why am I getting so pissed off? Yeah, right, right. Maturity. Yeah, and I'm saying, Pedro, tell me, you know, uh, you know, what what would you do in this circumstance? And how do you? I, I know what to do, but how do I feel good about it? Mm -hmm. Why am I so pissed off, right? <laughs> and so this is me reaching out to a, another really great man and mentor and asking because I believe in him. He lives, you know, 
my other, you know, jujitsu master, you know, I would talk to about how much punishment I can take and <laughs> how can you survive when the 300-pound man is on, on your chest and holding your mouth shut, you know. But Pedro is, he, he's a noble, you know, like a noble samurai, and he lives by a code, and nothing, he never breaks that code. So that's the kind of person that I go to for that advice. Mm-hmm. You know, so we jump in and we start talking, and we've talked about nothing necessarily that you actually do for, for a living or for work or career. We just started getting into this, and what's amazing to me, and, I, and we've talked about a number of even other people in there, and what's amazing to me and what I find fascinating and really enjoy is it's never so much about what the individual thing does. We all do something. We all find ways to make money and build businesses or do different things. But it's who the person actually is, you know, who they really are, the character of it. Because if you're good, you know, again, you're disciplined and you're hard work, whatever you pick, you know, ideally you're going to be, be successful. I mean, you've now talked about fitness a little bit, you've talked about relationships, we've talked about mentorship um, and it comes down to it seems like like whatever you set yourself up to do you're gonna gonna do it well because you're gonna apply the same principles the same values the same and the same character but at the same time if we do shift it back I do want to ask you about relevancy and how you have met. you've been you've had the forge for was it 50, the forge is not 50 years, 50 years old okay. and I've been running it for about 27 years Unbelievable, from from a hospitality, from a restaurant business standpoint. Uh, how do you stay relevant? How do you stay motivated? Uh, going there, working it, you know, because it seems like you're constantly changing and challenging yourself and doing all these things. But here's something that's been so stable and so successful in an industry where it's almost unheard of. Yeah. So yeah. So the forge is my night job. I have a day job too because I run mm-hmm. another business by day. And, which makes it even more challenging because now I can't sit and incubate all day on what I want to do with the forge on a daily basis because I'm not there as many hours as I used to be when I was much younger and I didn't have another business to run. Um, it, none of it is that people always say, you know, you know, you have, it's an institution, you know, as if it's somehow an autopilot, which it is absolutely not. <laughs> you know, we live in a city where there's this emergence of, of new restaurants that everybody wants to open a restaurant and now big brands are coming from New York and Los Angeles and Chicago and London and um, so it's anything but autopilot. It's how can I reinvent myself and stay relevant as an old restaurant in a city that wants everything new. And so, um, and it is, uh, it's very difficult, it really is to kind of reinvent and stay fresh and you know so the challenge of it is is to succeed you know like I used to you know you, I used to think of things as problems and you kind of want to avoid problems or it's a problem and then I realized now that life is about solving problems that's all it is if there's no problems you're not growing you're not going anywhere and you're not going to be you know, maybe if that, you know, maybe that's what you want. You know, maybe that's what somebody wants. But if you want to feel, have self-esteem, and you want to feel like you've achieved something or you've made an impact in the world, which is, I believe, why we're here is to make an impact. Then you have to challenge yourself, which means you're going to be filled your life with problems every single day. To me, the trick is not letting it get to me emotionally, 
when I have problems to solve because that takes me off of logic. I'm not having a visceral reaction to every time problems pop up, which is all day long, every single day. So what's the difference between someone who's successful and someone who's not? The one who expects the problems and is, is excited to try to solve them. Mm-hmm. Even if those problems mean, you know, if I fail at this, I could be broke. If I fail at this, my business could be, go bankrupt. You know, if I fail at this, I'm not going to make payroll. So you have to be kind of a little bit of a nut and say, you know, pivot and shift and say, I like this. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so I have this, I got this saying, there's a slogan that's on the wall of anatomy and I've adopted it and I actually put it on the wall behind my desk in my finance business. And it says, if it's humanly possible, I know I can do it. And I really do believe that. And I probably maybe believe it to the extent, to, my, to a fault actually, because you know, I, maybe I'm overconfident, but I'm not overconfident in my ability to do anything right now, but I'm probably overconfident in my ability to think that I could actually do anything. If somebody else could do it, I know I can do it. And I really believe that, you know. I just have to commit and put the time into it. Have you always believed it? Or is it something you've consistently worked on? You know, because I look at, at mindset, too. Um, and everybody can, can react differently to different situations, different problems, can get past certain things, hang on to stuff. Um, and it's a process, you know. And I work with my coach constantly on it. Because every day, you wake up. And whatever your plan was for the day, it's going to go to shit within like an hour, at least in our business. And and things are going to come up. And it's, again, how do you keep moving forward? Is this a mindset of of positivity and that kind of discipline and focus that that you've always had? Or is it something that has evolved and changed over time? And are you firing on on better cylinders now than, than maybe you feel like you are in your 20s and 30s? So I'm definitely the best version that I've ever been in my life. But I expect to be a better version tomorrow because I'm not going to stop growing. There's no way. So it's an evolution. It's hard. You know, the minute you think, and I've gone through these cycles in my life too, the minute you think that everything is going really well, you sit back for a second and then boom, you get smacked right in the face, right? Because don't, mm-hmm. so you can never rest on your laurels and you can never let your guard down. It's a constant, you know, it's a constant challenge um, in this evolution. You know, you talked about being positive. To me, there's like two kinds of positive. You know, there's the positive where we're just walking around saying, you know, be positive and have a positive day. And, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't really necessarily mean that person is positive. Being positive to me isn't such a necessarily an animated, um, uh, an animated manifestation of who you are, but it's, it's, it's realizing that no matter what happens, that there's a solution out of it. And you just, are you clever enough, challenge yourself to find the solution. To me, that's the positive. Like, it's in action, you know. And yes, do you want to remain outwardly positive? It's good. It's good mm-hmm. for morale. It's good sure. for people. People feed off of it. But that, but you know, doesn't mean you're actually positive. You could just be acting positive. But you give up on things, right? You know, he's the most positive person I've ever seen, except he keeps giving up on everything and quitting. And he really doesn't feel like, doesn't really believe what he's saying back to walking, walking the walk. Yeah. That we, that we touched on earlier. That's really hard. I mean, and now, that is really hard. It's hard to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, it's hard to do the same thing over and over again. It's hard, you know, not to quit. And now, we're 
looking around in this in the social media world and everything else where everything looks great all the time. It's easy to be false positive, you know, or, or come across as positive, yeah. but not be actually really, really doing it. Well put. Now, you grew up here on the beach, Miami, one of the, one of the lifers, I yeah. guess. Um, and back, to be, how have you managed also to keep it, keep it real? You know, there's a lot of clutter, you know? See, there's a lot of people, it's transient, you know, it's changed in the 20 years since I, since I lived here. Um, how has it shaped you as an, as an individual? Is how do you identify and find the people that you want to allow in versus what you can, because you, again, you, you're out there, you know, like yeah. you're out there publicly, but you also seem quite different privately and relationship-wise. How have you been able to balance that? Well, I've gone through different, you know, metamorphoses, I mean, quite frankly, um, you know, which I'm really happy that I've evolved. Sometimes I look back and I'm like myself at whatever persona that I had in a particular decade and I'm like, oh my God, how embarrassing, you know, but it is what it is. I don't regret them because they are part of who I am today and it's driven me, you know, there's, those events are still driving me now. But, but you know, there was a, a time where I think I was a much more of a superficial person, concerned with, you know, things that really I'm not concerned with at all anymore. You know, um, maybe some of that has to do with youth. I think some of that has to do with being egocentric, which was, uh, you know, a constant battle that, you, that I fight and I think that we all have to fight is trying, our, our ego never does anything good for us. I mean, it, its intent is to destroy us, embarrass us, put us in jail, you know, break us up. I mean, the, our ego, mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, the ego, I think, is different than drive and wanting to achieve, right? right? So, um, so, you know, I, I have, uh, I've stumbled in the past, you know, through the 90s when, you know, I was much more involved in nightlife and hospitality because I owned a couple of nightclubs and a couple of restaurants. And so, you know, that sort of, that was my lifestyle then. Um, and I, I have to say that around 40, I decided to, uh, I started getting into, you know, in the 90s I started to get into boat racing, then I got into car racing, and by the time I was 40 I ran a marathon, and those things started to shift me, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, after a few failed marriages, you know, finally, Sort of maturing and settling down and I'm up so early in the morning too every day and training and I'm in my office early in the morning and I'm you know I, I've you know I think of myself more as a finance person now mm -hmm. than I do as a I certainly don't I'm not a nightlife person anymore so it's I've shifted and I've evolved over the years so let's talk about that a little bit the, the shift into consider yourself a finance person and you mentioned earlier that you have a, a day job you know, and you have the night the night job yeah. which is Great, you've got two great, two great things going on amongst a lot of them. What are you doing with your days? What is, what is the finance job, so, business that you develop? Yeah, so we fund small and mid-sized companies. My brother-in-law and I run the company, um, and we put out uh, anywhere from ten thousand dollars to two million dollars to companies across the country. It's very technology-based. Um, you know, our algorithms and proprietary sort of scorecarding. Uh, we, we will fund the company within 24 to 72 hours. We never even meet the merchant that we're funding. Um, high risk, mm -hmm. um, so high stress, <laughs> uh, and a lot could go wrong really quick. 
What charged you up about this? How did you pick this particular? Well, area? so so we're traditionally my family is in the lending business, and we've been in consumer lending. And this opportunity came up for me to jump into this B2B lending. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not lending; it's factoring. And uh, so I j- jumped into it, uh, not knowing if it was going to be a right fit. And um, I think I've taken to it really, really well. So I'm really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is that made you take take to it again? Very different. You know, you've talked about nightlife and hospitality and being out there and all the moving pieces of that business. That adjustment to be. I guess in an office, you know, or be looking at things differently from either behind a screen, or as you said, you're making these decisions pretty quickly. But it seems like it's a, it's quite a different lifestyle, also. Yeah, it is. Um, it's it's I, I I love it. I love the lifestyle. I love the challenge. I love being part of a, a business that you know, it's so technical, um, so mathematical, which I really enjoy. Um, I enjoy the marketing side of it. I enjoy the underwriting side of it. I enjoy the the systems, IT side, because we have eight full-time software developers working on our systems. Okay. You know, full-time. So that's been a a tremendous education. And, you know, basically I'm responsible for for all of that. And it's, uh, I've had to learn it all. It's a unique mix of kind of left brain, right brain, and maybe most on. Usually you get you know, people that are more creative, you know, and some that are more maybe numbers or business driven. Have you always kind of had this balance also between left brain, right brain, and, and challenging yourself on both sides? So I think that, that any business that requires right brain, like the restaurant business and all the creativity and kinds of things you have to come up with in designing. I mean, when I redid the restaurant, I had to design it, you know, I mean, that's all right brain. Uh, but to run the business is left brain anyway mm-hmm. so or you're just going to have a really great place that's busy that's losing money so the left brain is always involved but i think also in the finance business when you look at um you know you think of it as usually left brain but for me to come up with some of the the deals that i've come up with it took some really creative thinking um, on how to source leads and how to bring additional income into revenue streams into the company so so it's kind of Things aren't as black and white, where something seems like it's left brain, but there's actually a lot of right brain in it. And things seem like it's a lot of right brain, but there's actually a lot of left brain in it. Let's talk a little bit about your your routine. What is your daily routine? What time are you getting up? What are you doing? Do you follow the same routine every day, or do you like things that are changing? We're doing this at ten. You were probably up. You know, I think we texted. You know, six or seven. You know, what's your what's your day? So I like I do like a, I do like routine. So you know I I know what days that I'm working out. Some you know obviously subject to something critical jumping in and ruining that workout. But generally speaking, I like things. You know I, I eat lunch at the same time every day. I know when to schedule my meetings. So I mean this morning I'm, I'm doing physical therapy for my leg. I broke my leg uh, almost eight months ago. My tibia and my fibula snapped it. Okay, so I was at physical, I was up at 6 this morning, physical therapy by 7, out of physical therapy by 8. Normally I would be in my office by 8.30 because I go straight from physical therapy. Um, if it wasn't physical therapy, it would be a workout. And then I'm in, I'm in that office um, working at NextWave, which is our funding company, um, do a you know, working lunch, stay there in the afternoon, 
if I have time to, to put another workout in there in the, on my way to the restaurant in, in a late afternoon evening, I will. If I don't, then I don't. So I, I try to do something, train every day, but sometimes I can get two in, which is mm -hmm. my favorite. Um, and then I'm in the restaurant. So, and in between all that, I'm, I'm having meetings and, you know, sales meetings or, you know, development meetings or management meetings in both companies. Um, sometimes I'll do my management meeting, my Forge management meeting from my funding company by Skype. Okay. And so I'll have everybody at my conference table. Sometimes I, I run to the meet. Lately I've been in those meetings. I think they've kind of needed me there. But so, um, and then uh, I, go, I go home probably. Uh, so I'm up between 5.30 and 6.00. I'm out of the house by 6.30 and then, or, you know, in either in the gym or physical therapy, and then I get home between 10 and 11 at night. Wow. What's the downtime? When do you make the either alone time or couple time now? Can you turn it off a little bit too? Yeah. I mean, right now, what's really fortunate is my wife is co-writing a book, which is taking her like 12 hours a day every single day which is wonderful because I'm also having to fit in studying for this you know global executive MBA program which you know like my financial accounting exam was six hours and my, you know my my, my, uh, my corporate finance exam was five and a half hours it's 15 hours to do an assignment you know it's like so I'm having to put that in so all day Saturday and all day Sunday I study and then I work Saturday night, and I work Friday night, you know. And so, so usually Sundays is our, is our day. But right now with the school and with her writing, it's kind of perfect because she's writing while I'm studying. But Sunday nights are date night, and Monday nights are date night. So I don't go into the restaurant on Sunday night or Monday night. Okay. Um, and I think when the school's over and her writing is over, we'll go back to having Sundays off. And, you know, I do like to get a workout in, some kind of workout. It could be a recovery workout, like sure. uh, maybe Bikram yoga for an hour, 90 minutes, you know, just to clean out and detox or, you know, some kind of, you know, recovery workout. Active recovery because we're all yeah. kind of, we need that too. It all, it all counts. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think better than anybody, the kind of levels, levels that you are hitting right now are pretty amazing. Well, thank you. It's, 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 it's a work in progress. Yeah. Like, like anything. I think a lot of respect. Education and kind of understanding your body and figuring out where that fits in with your lifestyle and everybody's is, is different and getting better at, at saying no. That's another thing you know, to certain other things as well. So it's kind of cool. How are you with saying no? I mean, it sounds like with your schedule between the businesses, between the marriage, between your own training, get into the injury and, and, and the rehab and, and there too. How are you with, with saying no? With all the things that you're asked to do, or how do you make your decisions into what you're going to commit to and what you have to, they're blindly, maybe blindly sometimes say, hey, yeah. I, I can't do that, I can't be there. So, so I thought I was pretty good at it, um, but again, you're never really, you can always do things better, right? Whatever you're doing, you can do it better. Like, you're not actually at 100%, you know? Um, actually, just this morning in rehab, I was doing this kind of skate jumping from cone to cone. I was really pushing myself, and I started to say, I was exhausted, I was breathing heavy, and I started to say, you know, I gave it, and I stopped, I go, that probably wasn't 100%. Really, what's 100% is dying, okay? So there's always a little more you can 
squeeze out. I mean, we've been feeling, you know, I think out on the field you give 100%, I'm sure. But there's, in life generally, you know, so I thought I was really good at, at time management and prioritizing. But I realize now that I have so little time, really, that I wasn't as good as I could be. And I was saying yes to a lot of things that I don't need to. And I had to reprioritize a lot of things to get through this 18 months with the school and with my two businesses and Make-A-Wish and all that. And so, um, so now I'm saying no to things. And including not always getting that workout in that I needed to get in only because, you know, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to prioritize. And not excelling in this program, it, which means more than just getting A's and everything, it's in, in absorbing the information material that I want to change my life is not an option. Right. But that, that's because the overwhelming priority right now, you know, and then maintaining my businesses so that something bad doesn't happen. Sure. Like that, you know, so, so a couple of things have to take a, a little bit of a back seat, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, a, it's an important distinction that certain things can take a back seat. They're not eliminated, but it's also at the point where we can't do every single thing we want to do every single day. Right. Kind of that, that means, okay, I can't wake up at the same time every day. I can't spend this time with my kids every day. I can't work yeah. out this hard every day. I can't write this amount new business. I can't take care of my existing client. I mean, and see my wife, and do all the, If you try to do everything every day, yeah. and it's one of the gifts that I've gotten out of even doing as many of these interviews as I have, is finding out how other people do it. And one of the breakthroughs has really been that if you really break it down and you try to do everything every day, you're, you're going to fail. It's, it's impossible. But at certain times of, of life, other things take priority. It's, it's overall balance and some things may drop down and some things may come up yeah. a little bit. Your passions might change or ebb and flow a little bit. But if the overall balance of, of life and quality and, and everything that you've got going, at the end of the year, if you look at it and go, okay, did I hit what I wanted to hit? Did I get done well? Sure. Maybe I'm a little out of shape, you know, and in second quarter of the year because we had a big goal, you know, that we needed to hit. But we yeah. got it back in third quarter and once we close that deal, you know, move on and you look and say, did I accomplish you know, what I set out to accomplish over X period of time as opposed to, shit, I got 24 hours a day. Eight, eight, at least eight of them are going to be sleeping, yeah. you know, for, for me, you know, in there. That's not enough time to do yeah. every single thing I want to do. That's in, very in, well articulated, in every by day. the way. Um, that, that's really, really well articulated. probably stolen from about 60 other people. Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't actually learn this until, like, I had to do every single thing every day. Mm-hmm. But also you can look at it, and that is, okay, let's say you can hit all those data points every single yeah. day. How well are you doing them? I, I, so, you know, yes, maybe you can go, that's just sort of, that's just like, the security guard that hits the key because he mm-hmm. has to show that he was at that corner at that time, but he's actually not paying attention to anything. Yeah. You know, so you're just going through the motions and you didn't really get anything out. It's about quality time. So I'm just getting that now. Like like skiing, I train 12 months a year for skiing. So I'm never out of ski shape. So I don't have to get into ski shape, right? Mm-hmm. So important to me. And then I ramp it up several months before, but I'm always I'm doing legs four days a week because I don't want to ever, I don't want to suffer trying to get mm-hmm. ready for skiing. So I just stay in ski shape, right? I'm not doing that this year. Like, I had a broken leg. I'm not going to, this is not my ski year. I'm in school. I can't go as many trips. I know that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think that way when I first broke. I'm like, I'm not going to let this stop me. And so, you know, as far as the rehab, I went crazy on it, you know, to get better. But but I realized that I have to take a little back seat right now. You, you just said it so well. Like, the fourth quarter, the second quarter, okay. But overall, after the end of the year, 
if you keep yourself busy and you maintain certain minimums, the, the, the comeback is, is not great. It's easy because you're, you're right there. You're just not at the best at the of your right, life. But you're not letting yourself go, but you may not be at your peak. Exactly. Somewhere in there, it's an easier yeah. thing to dial it, to dial it back because right. it it's, it's longevity and sustainability also. I want to talk to you about the injury a little bit personally because I, I, I'm curious because so, I'm dealing with one right now also. Um, when you injured yourself, you said you broke your tibia and your fibula, and you're a huge skier, obviously supremely athletic. Mentally, what does that do to you, and how quickly were you able to kind of turn the page and say, I'm already on the comeback trail, holy shit, okay, so now I'm looking at a picture from Aspen Valley Hospital, it's an x-ray of what used to be a leg, it looked like it used to be a leg, and now it looks like... I mean, it's a snap. It's a snap chicken bone. Here. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Theisman esque, I guess, in, yeah. in there too. Wow. Okay. What does that do? You wake up, you know, with that leg in a, in a cast, or you come out of surgery. What does that do to you? Well, first of all, you know, I was I was trying to break the sound barrier on solid ice, so not not really well advised. Early in the morning, shouldn't have been that part of the mountain. I had my whole family behind me. I had skied on, alone for three days. They came out. I spent a couple of days not skiing to show my wife that I actually love her more than skiing, you know. And then uh, we all went out, and I took off. I was all amped up, and I have this sort of philosophy that, you know, I could do anything, <laughs> and uh, except I didn't realize that I couldn't stop. I actually, I didn't actually fall. I couldn't actually stop. I came, and I didn't want to kill anybody at the chairlift, you know, mid-mountain, and or get launched off some to the next you know and land on somebody so I kind of induced my own crash not realizing the the method that I use broke my leg because my skis are on the dinsenies are really high and, you know it's just a, it was a perfect storm so they all skied up onto me and they thought I was taking a break my son skis up hey dad what are you doing I'm like yeah, hey listen you know I, I, I broke my tibia because I went to try to stand up and I realized the bones were broken inside my boot Right? Yeah. Mid-boot, right? Then my kids drive come up, and then my wife comes up. Honey, honey, I hurt my thumb. I said, okay, I'm sorry you hurt your thumb. Listen, I broke my leg. <laughs> so I, my, my ski buddy for 20 years, and ski instructor who was skiing with my wife, said, could you call Ski Patrol? I went in. I had to keep everybody calm. Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. You know, because I have the whole family there. What am I going to do? You know, it wasn't until I was alone. You have some threshold for pain, too. Yeah, you know, you have to take care of this. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of adrenaline was masking the pain, but it was starting to hurt, you know, but I couldn't show everybody. I, I didn't want them to worry about me. So, you know, you do what you have to do, you know. Mm -hmm. And then uh, by the time I got into the hospital, you know, I was thinking, the only thing I could think was, hey, how, how are you guys going to take my ski boot off? <laughs> you know, like, how do you do that? He goes, well, you have two choices. We can either, um, we're going to rip it off. There's the only way. We can't cut it off. So you can either rip it off with the pain meds that you have now, it's going to hurt like hell, and you're going to remember it, or we can give you an injection of something and you're going to hallucinate for like 30 seconds. It's still going to hurt just as much, but you won't remember it as, as vividly. I go, I'll go for number two. <laughs> There's no, no contest, right? Sounds they good. ripped it off. Four guys ripped off my boot. Two held my leg together and two ripped off the boot, right? And, but the, minute, the, the second that I broke my leg, you know, it wasn't a conscious thing, but subconsciously, my subconscious, kind of like while Malcolm Gladwell talks about thin slicing, mm -hmm. 
right? My, my subconscious was thin slicing my situation. They're like, I am, you know, for lack of a better word, screwed here. Not only is my ski vacation over, okay, and I still have another week here, right, and kids and family and friends that just flew in, but my entire year, which again, I didn't think of it consciously, but I know, I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, so all I had to do was get into this mode of recovery, recovery, recovery. Within two hours, I had a titanium rod, you know, surgically implanted and screws and, 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 you know, 48 hours, I went on a sleigh, on a horse-drawn sleigh, okay. on painkillers. I went and bought two new pair of skis so to, to, to break in when I recovered. You know, I contacted UM Sports Medicine, Lee Kaplan. He's, he runs, uh, Dr. Kaplan ran, runs UM Sports Medicine. Got into their therapy. He told them, give him five, because he, he, he did my left meniscus surgery. Okay. So he knows my, my, my discipline and philosophy. And he's like, give Sheree five days a week. Uh, PT, he can handle it. And so they just treated me like I was one of their athletes and I probably have had a hundred physical therapy sessions. I, I went every single day, plus in my gym every day at home, seven days a week for five months. Right? Just going crazy trying to... So, and also, I'm, I'm probably, my bone is probably 100% strong and okay. I'm probably 90% there on my left leg. So. Okay, and mentally, can you push it? Now, like, do you think about it? Okay, or I say, okay, boom, I, I can kind of go on this thing right now. I'm, I'm starting to get to the pushing part. Mm -hmm. I just, it's been, uh, there's, I, I mean, I, I still, I started to run and I could do a tenth of a mile, then two tenths of a mile, then three tenths, and then I hurt my right meniscus doing the three tenths because I know I have a little tear there and it, 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 it you know, flared up. So it's a, it's a work in progress. I'm not, I don't have the same propulsion off my left. But today I was doing box jumps about this high, which is new, and box jumping down from the box and okay. landing in a squat. And so I'm starting to get agility ladders, plyometrics are coming back in. I'm, I can lunge, squat, deadlift, all that. But it's the plyometric stuff that... And remember, we're talking to a guy who's in his 60s right now, regardless of the injury. Yeah. What you're talking about, plyometrics, box jumps, ladders, I mean, deadlifting, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable if you weren't okay coming off of, of that type of injury. That's it's, it's amazing. Static. Well, the the, the 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 problem is coming off an injury where at the time you're at the greatest physical condition of your life. That's where I was. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I went there. I did my best skiing, hard mogul skiing, all this stuff that I dream of all year. When I go to bed and I think about runs and putting my boots on. These are things that I, I kind of create the endorphins that I get from, from training. When I go to sleep, by reliving them, by thinking about them, I create the same endorphins, which makes me relax and fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so then here I'm there, and it's one of my greatest passions is skiing, and, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to let it go away. So I will go skiing this season. Awesome. Relationships. You've mentioned your wife. I think I might have lost count, okay, right now. Uh, at least a half a dozen, maybe a dozen times so far. Let's talk about relationships. How did you first meet your wife? What was it about your wife? How do you approach relationships? Um, you said you married your, your best friend. I did. So the first thing that we decided to do when we met was um, not to have sex together right away. Because, you know, we were just in different places in our life, you know. She had just been married, and, and 
I have been married several times, and I was I, I didn't actually wasn't looking for a relationship. We all say that, you know, when we're break break up with somebody, you're not looking for a relationship anymore until you get into one. But I was uh, my restaurant was closed, and I was doing a um, a renovation. So I took my project manager, who was this 23 year old Cornell graduate, brilliant, beautiful girl. I say that for a reason. Um, you'll, you'll hear it in a second because my wife thought we were dating. We were okay. Okay. And I take her and my new chef and some wine people. And we go out to a a um, a dinner, an organic dinner, on an organic farm, in Homestead, at night. Okay, with a with a guest chef. So I'm getting out of my car. She's getting out of her car with her best friend, girlfriend, hairstylist. She was she was shooting Burn Notice at the time. She was the star of a, of a show that was shot here, Burn Notice which did seven seasons, and we're getting out, and I, I had never seen Bernadette, so I didn't actually know her. And so our mutual friend, who That's I didn't actually... help a little bit, right? It was really good. Okay. <laughs> it was really good. So, so just to backtrack yeah. a little bit, your wife's name is Gabrielle. Mm-hmm. Gabrielle Adelar. Yes. The actress from the legendary, famous, scent of a woman, Al Pacino tango scene, just to put this in, in context. Yes, okay. yes. So we get out, and we start talking, and I got, it was immediately smitten. Um, and unfortunately, they put us in a VIP area, kind of away from her. I'm like, why didn't I go and sit with them? Because it was free seating. So I walked up to the table. It was, she was celebrating her birthday, it was that week. So I, because they had a little cake there, I saw. So I walked, I said, I said to myself, if you don't walk over to talk to her tonight, you'll never see her again for the rest of your life. Go do it. So after dinner, I walked over, I started chatting with her, and uh, I told her, you know, I usually, you're an Aquarius, and I'm an Aquarius. I said, I usually throw an Aquarius party, but my restaurant's closed. She goes, oh, yeah. I said, but maybe we should do one. She said, that would be great, I throw a great party. I said, well, I throw a great party. So we started arguing <laughs> on who threw a better party. So we had lunch. So we had lunch, we never talked about the party, and I got into my car, and I, I literally hit my steering wheel, and I said out loud, now that's the kind of woman I need to be with. Because all this evolution that I have been doing was actually to prepare for many things in my life, one of them being her. Because if I hadn't been there, it wouldn't, she would not have clicked with me. I wouldn't have clicked with her. And if she hadn't been where she's at, she wouldn't have clicked with me. So it was kind of this perfect timing. So I created this whole party under the guise. It was really our first date and she didn't know it. We're acting, you know, we're friends, we're talking. I create this whole party. I call other Aquarius, like Craig Robbins, who's a dear friend of mine in town. And, you know, I called Ronnie Cycli to come and Irani Sakan, the photographer who's an Aquarius. And I said, hey, listen, Craig, can, will you co-host this with me? Because this girl's going to think I'm stalking her. It's, you know, I'm beginning, you know, I, I need somebody else to help me out for the Aquarius party. So I created this whole thing. We were under construction. We built a tent. I did a dinner for 27 people. You know, I had flamenco dancers because she mentioned she liked flamenco dancers. And, and she still had no idea that I was courting her. <laughs> you know, I feel like really you know, great, great, great confidence builder. So the day of the party, I said, listen, Gabrielle, this is not my party. This is your party, too. So is there anybody that you would want like to invite besides your friend who introduced us, Gianna? She goes, well... Um, would you mind if I, my ex-husband comes, right? So, of course, I, 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 I take the phone away from my f- face, and I go, damn it, okay? And then I bring the phone back to my face and say, of course he can come, right? And then I hang up, and I think, like, well, maybe she's trying to give me a message. Right? And, and she says, oh, and by the way, he's born on the same day as you are, right? So I'm like, oh, great. 
<laughs> this is awesome. Another Aquarius. Yeah. And, and exact same date as mine. Okay. Same exact birthday, mm -hmm. February 18th. So we get to the dinner. I seat him on the other side of the table with my, who, the girl she thought I was dating, which is my project manager. Um, and uh, we start chatting. And about halfway through the dinner, it dawns on her that this is a date. And then she looked at me differently. I looked at her differently. That was our first kiss that night. And I have been together and with her since that day, really. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Very, very cool story. You started at the very beginning, though, saying you made a conscious decision also not to have sex. Yeah. How does that conversation come up? Well, first of all, talking to my wife, my wife has no filter. There's nothing that she won't talk about. Okay, whether it's embarrassing to you or to her, she doesn't get embarrassed. Like, she'll say anything. So it's very easy to talk to somebody like that, which is at that first launch when I said, like, that's the kind of woman I need to be with. I need to be with somebody that's, you know, that, that not only I'm teaching something to, that's teaching me something. Mm -hmm. and, and her openness and her ability to face her faults, you know, um, I, I admired so much. And so we started talking and... I don't know how it actually first came up, but we both start. We both agreed, you know, that let's let's take this slowly. Let's let's like each other first, you know, like, you know, we've you know we've both been there, and you know this is and and that's probably one of the reasons why we ended up where we ended up with each other, is because we've been there before. So we've tried to do it in a different way. It, it lasted for. It didn't last for. You know, forever, okay. But it lasted long enough that we were able to, you know, to have enough glue. I think in the relationship that the the, the newness of having a sexual encounter didn't wear off so quickly. It made, made it even better. What do you guys like to do most? What's your what's your thing? What's your perfect day? Well, you know, we bought a house in Coconut Grove. That, that she actually found, which is, you know, I had told her I own a house in Miami Beach. She didn't want to live in that house because she said that it has too many, it was the house I lived at when I was a bachelor, right? And she's not that style. It's modern, so it's contemporary, and she's, she's, a, she's a, a hippie, really, okay. who lived in Topanga Canyon for 20 years. So she found this house, and I told her, we're not buying a house, so we sold the other house. You know, lo, lo and behold, I bought the other house. <laughs> And um, so we love to be home now. It is like the perfect day for us is like a day yesterday. You know, we, she, she was doing some work and I was doing some work. And then we have our kids. We have a Krav Maga instructor come and teach all our daughter and all her girlfriends. How old are your, are your daughters? So, so, so my stepdaughter is 15. Okay. And stepson 17 and 24. Okay, do you have and, children of your own? And then I have a 34-year-old son who came over yesterday also, and my 9-year-old grandson. Wow, okay. Yeah. Congratulations. So I, thank you. And so then we have a Krav Maga instructor come, who's a son of a dear friend of ours, and he teaches Paisley, who goes to Ransom, and all her girlfriends from Ransom, Krav Maga to defend themselves. All these little 15-year-old girls. It's very cool. My son is, uh, I've got two boys, 15 and 12. Great. And, uh, in, in Krav Maga as well. Oh, really? And my 15-year-old is very excited now because he just was asked to enter their, their mentorship program. So you can test into this program, and we as the parents have to go to the meeting, and we have to discuss all the responsibilities, and then he can mentor some of the younger up and, up yeah. and coming. But it's a, 
it's great. It's been fantastic for him. I mean, as an introverted person, to develop confidence and security and it's everything. It's yeah, it's been amazing. Can you imagine what it would be like, you know, Greg, walking down the street and feeling intimidated? You know, just intimidated, like mm -hmm. you know, you know, because you know someone's looking at you funny, or you're picking up on things, or you're you know afraid to have confidence. You know, first of all, intellectual confidence when you sit down with somebody that you're not worried about embarrassing yourself, that you know you can hang toe to toe with, stand toe to toe with anybody intellectually, but also physically, you don't you want to have a, a a persona or low confidence that sends out an energy where someone would want to feel that you're easy prey. Sure. And that's got to be a horrible feeling. It's got, I, look, I remember, I remember it well. I, I don't think I would have gotten as involved in fitness, um, and even self-defense, and I boxed and everything for a while, if if I wasn't horribly bullied, you know, yeah. as, a, as a 12 and 13-year-old. And I remember to this day the kids that used to come down from high school, you know, the ninth graders, used to come down to middle school when I was in seventh and eighth grade yeah. just to kick the shit out of me. Wow. Specific. But if those everything happens for a reason, you yeah. can let it break you can figure it out. But and trust me, they weren't great days. I didn't think I was learning any great lesson at that particular yeah. time anyway. But I don't think I would have picked up a weight necessarily. Yeah. Or been inspired to pick up my hands, you know, or learn something else. Right. Um, if not for those experiences. Fortunately back then at least it was more everything was more hand to hand. You know, at least down, you dealt with it. You That's where we're getting shot. Right. Exactly. Now it's a whole, whole different thing. You send your kids off to school, but everything happens for a reason. And yeah. I think maybe it set me on the path of okay, this is important to learn this, you know, and you can either go forward, you know, or or, or backwards on this stuff. Yeah. So I do think things like, like self defense and martial arts and, and um, BJJ and Jiu Jitsu and, and crop, I think they're so important for so many yeah. different different reasons. Male or female. My grandson's a great little jujitsu fighter now. He's a tiger, nine years old. It's unbelievable <laughs> to watch him. But this kid, no one is going to be able to pick on him. Mm -hmm. He's not going to start any fights. Yep. But it, nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to be able to manhandle him, you know, and, and he'll give an adult, you know, problem. some problem. I mean, I think the toughest people I know are the ones that don't have to tell you how tough they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't. They walk it, they knock it, you know, everybody knows it. You can, it's something that radiates. Yeah. It permeates out of that type of... It's true. That type of individual where, not the one you're going to pick up. And, right, so those people don't get into... You know, it's, the people who get into fights are usually... It, it's, it, it's very hard to get into a fight if you don't want to. Correct. You know, like, people are like, oh, I always get drawn into fights. Well, mm, <laughs> there's a reason. Mm -hmm. Why are you drawn into fights, okay? <laughs> it, 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 if you're not, if you really don't want to fight, it, even though you can defend yourself, and obviously you will defend yourself, you're not going to get into a fight. I mean, 99% <laughs> chance that you're not going to get into a fight. You know, it's when you're looking around and engaging and you have an ego issue, that's how you get into a fight. Yep. We're too old for that. When you're at, you should stay. Yeah. <laughs> There's that. Um, let's talk a little bit about philanthropy. Also, um, and you're involved in, in a number of different causes. Um, and very philanthropic family uh, as well. Chairman of the Make a Wish uh, Foundation down here. Cancer. My father passed away from cancer. I'm sorry. Of different things. Um, talk to me a little bit about the importance of philanthropy and how you've chosen to be involved with the causes that, that are so near and dear to your heart and, and you put so much time, energy, and money into. 
So, you know, I, I asked the proverbial question of why are we here? And, and my answer is, for me, is to make an impact. Make an impact on the planet, on people, you know, hopefully a generational impact, um, something that's felt long after we're gone. I think that's really critical. And when you impact somebody, you impact their children and their grandchildren because there's this trickle-down effect that you've changed them. So Make-A-Wish is a, is a very important foundation for me. Um, I just rolled off as chairman of the board of directors, and now I'm, I was elect, or nominated and elected as a chairman of the board emeritus. Um, I'm chairman of the Make-A-Wish Ball, which we just had in November, or two weeks ago, um, which we raised $2.4 million that night, by the way, net. And, um, and I'm chairman of the Make-A-Wish Capital Campaign, which uh, we want to build a wish house. And we hired a, um, a Disney Imagineer to design it because the vision is I want to I want to transport our children through emerging technology and experiential architecture to another universe when they walk into the house. So so far in two years we've raised twenty two million dollars. So um, really happy about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and so Make Wish means a lot to me. Um, every wish that is granted impacts a minimum of two hundred people. So. The, the, the ball itself and our foundation has impacted millions of people. And that's, that's why I'm here, right? I want to impact millions of people, and, you know, generationally. And those people and these wishes will keep going long after I'm gone. And, you know, for generation after generation, you know, this wish house will be there for 100 years that we're building and, uh, and the endowments that we're, that we're doing. And so nothing gives me more pleasure than that. Um, I'm also involved with, uh, I just got onto the, this board um, through some friends of mine, one sits on our board uh, at Make-A-Wish, and it's the uh, Greater Miami and Miami Beach Police Foundation. So we, we support first responders and their families in all different sorts of ways. Um, we support police departments, actor shooter classes, we donate, and we put up reward money to catch bad guys, and it works. Like, we caught murderers by putting up reward money. So I'm with a great group of people that want to make an impact, and animals too. And so we go after um, animal abusers. Um, so that, that's really important. And then I, I joined, a, a, my wife's come and joined me in Make-A-Wish. So there's reciprocity in marriage, <laughs> which I've learned, okay. Um, and that is, so I joined a, a charity that she's on the board of, and I'm trying to help them with my experience of Make-A-Wish, and that's the Pickler Foundation, which is a, um, it's headquartered in California, and a Hungarian woman in the 30s, uh, Emmy Pickler, uh, created this, this philosophy of raising infants with respect, which, believe it or not, we tend not to do. And, and... She, she tackled this. She was, a, she was a pediatrician. She went, she was a Jewish pediatrician who went through World War II running an orphanage in Hungary, okay, which was not where you want to be as a Jewish pediatrician in, in, in World War II. And um, she's absolutely brilliant. So, so I've, I've, in an effort to help my wife out and her, her people, I joined that. And so, um, and I have a couple of other things that, you know, that I'm on the board of. So, you're great at throwing parties also. We talked about that. Restaurant tour, 
you put together a dinner. Who do you want that you pick anybody? Oh boy. Who do you want there? Okay. Um, well, that's a tough one. Put me on the spot. You know, that's the one you really want to think about, right? You know. Um, well, I think you know. I'm interested in leadership. Very interested in leadership. So, I'd like to put on some great leaders, and also I'm interested in in creative and brilliant minds. You know, are we talking living or dead? They could be living or dead. Actually, <laughs> sure. Well, I think George Washington um, would be somebody I'd like to uh, to have at that dinner because uh, I read a really interesting article in the Wall Street Journal about a month ago, and this writer said, you know, what makes George Washington arguably one of the best American leaders of all time? What made him so great? And it showed a portrait. Some, I guess, it's a famous portrait of George Washington on his horse, his horse is rearing up, and it said, success, and then had another portrait, the same exact portrait, and it said, defeat, okay? So this author broke down leadership into two qualities, two characteristics. Um, one is um, tenacity, right? So, you know, being relentless, right? So he said, George Washington is relentless. And George Washington would rather gallop his horse than walk his horse. George Washington, when his troops were taking major hits on the, Del on the Delaware, and, and, and on the other side, the enemy was facing them. George Washington galloped his horse through the troops, turned his horse around, put his back to the enemy, and started giving orders. That's a guy that you want to follow. But the second ingredient is as important as the first ingredient. And so what's the second thing that made George Washington such a great leader, according to this author? Right? Only narrowed it down to two things. Right? And that is his control over his emotions. Because however relentless you are, and I, I say this to a lot of my managers, like, you know, you've lost your, you lost control. You're relentless, but you're missing the second ingredient. You lost control. No one's going to follow you. When you're up, you're down, you feel defeated, you feel, you know, elated. And so, so that's why I would want George Washington there, because I'd have a lot of questions for him on how. Um, another great leader, uh, Ernest Shackleton. Right? And Ernest Shackleton wanted to be the first guy to cross the Antarctic by foot. Okay, so he, he built a ship, and he and he recruited all these great, you know, people to sail with him. That he that he knew that if they got into trouble, that they would survive. Right, and you know he was you know the queen you know was, you know anointed him, and you know and he sets out, and and oddly enough, the name of his ship was Endurance. Okay, and Shackleton approaches the Antarctic and gets his ship stuck between two glaciers. And they're stuck. There's no radios, there's no way out, there's no, you know, we're stuck. So as the glaciers start squeezing together over months, they realize we gotta get off the ship and start heading out because we're not we're gonna lose the ship. He picked people that he thought, and he was very, very selective in recruiting the crew for this ship because he knew that if, you know, if, it, if the stuff hits the fan, he's going to need the right people, right? It's, it's all about people. So you were talking about, you know, what's it's inside a person. You know, not what do they do, but who are they, right? That's, the, that's for everything. So, so the push came to shove here, right? So the couple of people turned out to be the wrong people out of the whole of this ship. 
So what did he do is he put them in his tent with him, right? Which is a great lesson, right? You want to keep the bad apples from spreading, right? So you keep them really close to you inside, right? One year later, they... I think one guy died and it was for like something else. It had nothing to do with the, this tragedy. So he basically saved everybody and they all made it back to England safely. It's unbelievable. So I think I would have him there. Um, uh, maybe Elon Musk, um, who I have had the pleasure of meeting. Um, uh, I think I would have him there. I think we need some spiritual people. Um, you know, I think like a, like a Gandhi would be a very interesting person to have there. Um, Nelson Mandela would be great. Um, you know, um, and then I'm trying to think like you know, athletically. I think some great military heroes would be really interesting. I'm not sure which one. You know, maybe like a Patton or you know somebody who who understands that you know sort of what would be like game, a Game of Thrones, a modern-day Game of Thrones mm -hmm. strategist. Um, I would put a great musician. You know, um, somebody just asked me if, if they should invite to this event. What's his name? Um, the, the Israeli violinist. Yitzhak Promet. So he's going to come to an event that we're mm -hmm. going to. My friend said, you know, we're... we're He's actually, my friend, is his father's opening the synagogue, and he's like, I want to surprise my father with a special gift. What do you think if we bring Itzhak Perlman to play? I go, do it. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I think those those kind of some of the characters. I wish I had more time to think about it, because I'm probably... We can, get, we can come back. Okay. 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 Get in your car after this is over. What's on? NPR. Favorite show? Game of Thrones. Okay. What are you reading? Um, at the moment, <laughs> my school books. <laughs> um, you know, I read, I read a lot of self-help books. So I, I read everything Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, uh, Give and Take. I don't know if you've ever read it, but you will love it. Okay. It separates the whole world into givers, takers, and matchers, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a professor academic approach to giving. So it's not like you don't give just because it makes you feel better. You don't give just because the Bible tells you to give. You give because you're going to be more successful by giving. But not by giving to just anybody. Because then you'd be a doormat and then you're going to end up at the bottom. Giving to the right people without the expectation of receiving anything will propel you to have sustainable success for the rest of your life. It's an amazing book. Amazing message. Yeah. Favorite artist? Favorite artist... Oh my goodness! Um, I have to come back to that. Okay. What's your favorite musical artist? Uh, Jimmy Page. Good call. Very Thank good. you. Very good call. Who, by the way, came to one of my Wednesday night events at the Forge, went up to me with me to my office. I have a Stratocaster on my wall. Played my Stratocaster for an hour. Okay, in my office with just him, a friend of mine, and myself. And then we went back down. So then I said to him, hey, listen, can we go back? i got to go back down to the party. <laughs> I'm hosting. So I had, a, I had a, an hour with Jimmy Page playing my guitar. And he said to me, you know, hey, man, 
I love your guitar. Can I have it? I went like, yeah, like, yeah, sure. He goes, no, no. I want your guitar. I want to play this guitar in concert. I love the action. I said, well, okay. You really want to take my guitar? He goes, yes. I go, okay, so, yes, you can take it. <laughs> you can take my guitar. But I want your word as a man. Look me in the eye and shake my hand that when you get back home, you'll send me a custom guitar from you. And I trust you. You can take my guitar. Because I'm not going to just give it to him and not get anything. Yeah. Well, thank you. Would you like my car, too? Yeah, nobody's going to believe the story then anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> he goes, uh, so I guess he thought about it. And I, it was really nice of him because he could have just said yes. He probably figured that he's probably going to forget this ever happened. And, you know, by the time he gets back home and having to live up to that, it was probably more trouble than it was worth. So he said, can I at least play it then? I, I'm not going to take it then. Can I at least play it? When uh, you know when I come back here for a concert, I said, "Of course," which I never heard from him again. <laughs> Probably a little testing you at the same time too. Hey, most people just give me stuff. They I think they do, right? They Please this, take this, it. Do I respect this guy? How did we handle this whole situation? There's a little testing moment. Yeah. You know, that's that's here. I'm going to eat the forge. You have to pick one item on the menu. What do I have? For appetizer or entree or just one? Okay. Perfect meal. Okay, so I'm digging the bone marrow that we have as an appetizer right now. And the way Love it comes bone. out on the bone, you know, in the bone tunnel. And uh, I'm digging that. And I'd have to say I would go with a steak, too, because I got a, a, a new steak vendor out of New York, Masters. The steaks are incredible. And everybody's really digging the ribeye right now. So I would say I would go with the ribeye. Okay. We hit a lot. Yeah. In an hour and ten minutes. It's amazing. I am grateful for for your time to have the opportunity to get to know you. This has been been super cool to learn from you. Uh, more about who you are. Really motivating. Really inspiring stuff. Sharif Malik, thank you for your time on the Midlife Mail podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, would love to have you back. Anything I can do for you, my friend, just ask. Well, it's, it's mutual, and we learn from each other. I learned a lot from you today. You articulated some of the things that I was thinking very well. I appreciate it. I appreciate that very much. And good luck with the decathlon and raising money for cancer. Thank you. We will be back to that next year. So it's been an amazing organization and appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah. God bless. Thank you. Thanks, man. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net.